0: Hello, and welcome back to the Irish Tennis Updates podcast. My name is Adam, your host, and this week I have been chatting to Claire Curran. Claire was a very successful Irish and GB tennis player and reached a ranking of the t- in the top 100 in doubles. This is part two of my chat with Claire. If you didn't yet listen to part one, I'd recommend that you do so and then come back to listen to part two. In part one, among other things, Claire talks about junior tennis, U.S. college tennis, and the U.S. Open. This time around, in part two, we are going to talk about Claire's time in pro tennis and her, the success that she had there, reaching the top 100. We talk about when she made the switch from representing Ireland to representing Great Britain. We talk about achieving the dream of playing at Wimbledon, and she actually played four times in the main draw of Wimbledon. We talk about retirement and moving into coaching and commentary in the media post retirement and how Claire's relationship is with tennis these days. I really hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you enjoyed part one, and here we go. Here is part two with Claire Curran. Yeah, and and obviously then you kind of, sort of soon after that you moved into the pros, which is kind of the the plan I guess all along. How well equipped do you think you were then? From college and from that U.S. Open experience to go into pros, and I guess going into kind of the futures and building up the ranking, so it might be a, you know quite a different experience to the U.S. Open. Obviously, kind of going down the level and, and working up.
1: Uh, I think it, it certainly helped that I was 22 and I wasn't 18, so I, I was I was now a very different person to to when I was 18 years of age. So I was emotionally ready for it. I was able to kind of travel away from home for long long periods of time. Um, I don't think I was equipped in the sense that what I needed to be a professional tennis player, such as a team around me, I never really had a kind of team around me, um, to the kind of could, could show me the way, how, how, how are we doing this? What are we kind of doing? But I was also very unfortunate because one of the downsides for me about my kind of college tennis career was that I, I always had this, the last couple of years, I had a ba- very bad hip problem. And when I came out to play professional tennis, which was kind of my reward for getting my degree, um, I, I knew straight away that I was having a problem with my hip. Um, and I, I was kind of playing through it. I was trying to play singles, but I couldn't move. And I, I pretty much had what I would probably experience was the same thing that Andy Marie was having whenever we were kind of watching him limp around Wimbledon a couple of years ago. I think, although he's never kind of, 100% said exactly what it, what it is that he has has had in that hit. But um, I, w- I was struggling with that. And I was I was trying to play, but I wasn't playing very well. I was playing singles events, $10,000. I was losing and qualifying, but I was always pretty much winning the doubles event. And doubles was a lot easier for my body to kind of move in. So I, w- I, w- I was kind of struggling with that. And the first actually two or three years after leaving Berkeley, Um, I had had surgery on the hip but I also then was coming back to play and I couldn't really play and I was stopping so I actually think it took me really about three years and at this point I'm now kind of 25 years of age it took me to 25 to actually say you know I'm going to play for one year I'm only going to play doubles and I'm going to see can I kind of get into the top 100 in the world. Yeah. um, and also at that time, and I, you know, I'm sure at some point you, you you will ask me probably the question about why I switched my my nationality over to play for Great Britain. But at that time I also made the, the 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 commitment. I guess the goal was that I was going to break the top hundred in the world. I was I was going to play for Great Britain, um, and you know, with that, I obviously I, I would have been playing in the Grand Slams um but but that kind of decision w- was made when i was when i was really 24 really 25 yeah
0: yeah and and i guess just before we we get to that you did as you turned pro and obviously you said the first couple of years the the, the injury was was still kind of niggling away at you but you you did then have a lot of success kind of 12, 12 titles and and you did get to the top 100 do you have kind of proudest moments of or like best moments that stand out from the kind of the earlyish years as as you had more and more double success and you did see the ranking starting to rise?
1: I saw the ranking rise, but I, I didn't ever see the bank balance rise with it. That's the really tough thing with playing doubles. You'd be winning these titles and you'd be, you know, winning enough money that would kind of cover your, um, would cover your telephone bill at the time. It was, uh, it was, it was not lucrative. Uh, I think the, probably the biggest um, outside winning the NCAA's in, in, in doubles, which I still think was probably one of the kind of you know the biggest kind of moments. Um, I think it was it would definitely not not the titles. I I made a WTA tour final um, in Canberra, and that was that was really big for me because um, I knew that I was breaking the top hundred in the world with when we were in that final, um, and. I also knew that I would make the British Fed Cup team by by having kind of that that result and and I think that was probably for me like that kind of wow moment like this is um this is this is a really big achievement here um to be able to to kind of do that
0: yeah yeah and and, and just before we we do kind of move on to to switching over and playing for the the GB Fed Cup team just um just ask you a little bit about all the years you, that you kind of played, obviously as young as you said, kind of 15, playing for the Irish Fed Cup team and how those years were. And I guess they were kind of your first tastes of you know, senior kind of adult tennis. So how were those early and then obviously as you kind of got a bit older and still playing um, with, with the Fed Cup team for Ireland?
1: I, I think firstly, playing, playing on a team was always really important to me. And, and before playing on the Irish team, my first teams were playing for the Ulster team. Uh, playing interprovincials provincials at a junior level from a very young age to them being on that senior team when I was thirteen for Ulster was was massive and you know I'm surrounded at that point by people who are adults and and people who were who who were kind of nurturing me a little bit and advising me uh, and also a lot of the men players on that Ulster team they were playing with me a lot you know they were uh, and I I I honestly cannot give them enough credit on all the people that, that were involved at, at a very young age, especially kind of an Ulster for kind of helping me get to the point where when I was 15, I got onto that Irish Fed Cup team, which for me, uh I remember I got picked on the team. I had I I had I'd beaten Leslie O'Hallor in, in a in a tournament uh in Lower Ahada uh darning darning Cork and and Matt Doyle had come to watch that match. And Leslie was a brilliant player. I mean, a absolutely brilliant player. And actually, I would say if anybody influenced me the most in my in terms of doubles from a young age, it was Leslie. I remember she said to me when I played a tournament with her, uh, when I was about thirteen, a ball went over my head, and she said to me, "Do not ever let that ball drop. You know, take it out of the air." Mm-hmm. And I, I to this day say that to players, but also as a player, I was, I hope that I was. I had, I used my athleticism to try to get up and always hit the overhead. Um, but unfortunately for, for kind of Leslie, I was kind of nipped that place uh, on the on the kind of team for her. And we went to Nottingham. It was Gina Nyland, Siobhan Nicholson, Karen Nugent and myself. And I mean, Karen and I were so young. We were most immature two people that you could kind of possibly have, but we really had so much kind of fun together. We were very big rivals. But in those early, early years, we, we really had kind of a, a lot of fun together. And Gita and Siobhan were, were kind of like, you know, more, more kind of serious and would have, um, you know, not, not, not serious, actually. No, they probably weren't serious in many ways. But I think they just kind of laughed at the two of us kind of doing um, our kind of the way that kind of we were with things. Um, but it was brilliant. It was, it, was, it was probably my fondest memory, that, that Fed Cup. And then also probably one of my last Fed Cups when we went to South Africa, um, and we qualified um, for the next group, which was with the Yvonne Doyle, Elsa Rain, uh, Kelly Ligan and you know all people who who I would you know count as, you know you know certainly Elsa and I are you know, always in contact, good uh, but good friends. It was it was a really special kind of moment, um, but also it was the start of the end, um, in terms of my. Irish Fed Cup journey and it's you know I guess it's this I've never really spoken about it nobody's nobody's probably ever asked me kind of the question of how did that kind of come about but um, the following year we went to Portugal um, and we'd been promoted and Owen Casey was the captain and I think Owen had had a couple of years that he was very he was doing a lot of work with the Irish female players. Um, and he was doing a brilliant job with them. And, and they were doing really well. I mean, Elsa and Yvonne, Kelly Ligon, I mean, these were really, really good players. Um, and I think his time was, was kind of coming to an end, the kind of contract was coming to an end. And it, and it felt like, you know, this moment of, you know, we, you know, we could do more. I was really aware, gosh, we could do more, couldn't we? And I'd had this experience in the States with trying to win a national championship team. And I was really kind of aware that I didn't want us to just be Irish players being here. I wanted us to go to the next level. How do we kind of keep, keep doing that? But I think the kind of investment at that time in, in the women's team was was maybe dropping off. But I, I kind of certainly, uh, you know, I, 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 I kind of was aware of that. Um, and I, I was also struggling with my hip injury. And I wasn't, wouldn't say I was playing particularly well. But the following year after that, um, I got dropped from the Irish team, and I I didn't I actually didn't I was I had had this surgery I wasn't playing you know I wasn't really playing singles anymore, but right. I was very aware I, I was going to be a top hundred doubles player. I, that's uh, there was no you know you, you you would could have asked me at the time I would have told everybody this is what I'm going to do you know, um, but at the time I I then got dropped from the Irish team which for me was really hard because I had played from you know the age of. 15 it had meant everything to me um and uh, and i you know i was i read it in a newspaper really and uh, at the time i wrote to the the chief executive of, of tennis ireland and asked him why i was dropped and the the response at that time was that um that the fed cup team would not consist of a double specialist and um and going, you know, that was that was kind of the way it was. So effectively, my my future playing Fed Cup for Ireland was was gone in that in that letter that I got that day. Um, and you know, at the same time, I then had moved myself over to to England to train. Um, and um, you know, I I pretty much said, okay, <laughs> well, I'm going to play. For Great Britain now, uh, and I'm going to, and I'm going to get, uh, I'm going to get into the top hundred in the world. So there was, it, it was something that I didn't talk about because you also have to kind of remember, I I, I come from Northern Ireland, and in those days, um, you know, sports and politics, you don't want to make any, you know, kind of reference to things. But I just quietly went around the world playing my doubles, um, getting my ranking to a point. Um, and when I, when I uh, just before I made the final of the WTA tour event in Canberra in Australia, which I think was in um, January 2006, um, just before that, that week, I think I'd lived three years in mainland UK. And, I, and I, I, I contacted the ITF and asked them to switch my nationality over to Great Britain. And then Great Britain wanted a double specialist on their team. So they picked me that year for the for their fed Cup team, and um it was you know i I played four matches, all four matches with elena baltasha, and we won all four matches and from British tennis perspective, they recognized the importance of a double specialist and how and how on how that was that was big going forward and actually now, when you look at British tennis, especially the men, you see how important doubles uh is to them yeah, yeah. so that was kind of. That was that was how 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 that all kind of came how that all kind of came about and um, yeah it, it feels like I've kind of gone into the wilderness I guess of tennis in Ireland um, ever kind of since that but my in my all of my tennis memories and all the fondest things that I have and and Irish tennis is 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 exceptionally important to me because it meant as much to me to play for Ireland as it as it did to play for Great Britain
0: yeah yeah well well hopefully. Some, you know some people can listen to this and remember and you know and you can be out of the wilderness a little bit more um but <laughs> but so how difficult was that like, I guess it was a few years between when you stopped uh, your last kind of fed cup for Ireland your first time for GB a couple of years in between that how difficult was that I guess you're on your path to top hundred was kind of the goal which you you were you were chasing was that like emotionally speaking was that like a difficult time for you as well
1: uh it was it, yes it was very it, it was I guess it was difficult there was moments where I thought what am I doing I'm starting to get to the age of 24 um I've got I'm not making any money doing this um I what am I going to do with my life kind of going forward but um I I remember there was I was living at the time in in Putney in which is pretty close to to Wimbledon and I remember there was there was one particular kind of time where I I just thought I I cannot do this you know I was I was training in a in a tennis centre called Sutton Tennis Centre, which a lot of British tennis players have kind of come through. I was training in the morning with the coaches and I was paying for it in the afternoon by doing some kind of tennis coaching with the young kind of kids. Um, and my, my work ethic was really exceptionally high. I, I, that was one thing that was, you know, I, I noticed that, you know, above kind of any kind of British tennis player around me, I had this like incredibly hard kind of work ethic. Um, and, and I guess what was probably hard was also when you see the amount of support uh, that, that I guess British tennis players get, uh, the amount of wild cards they get into events, uh, the financial backing they get, the coaches, the whole team around them. So from that perspective, I, I obviously I was training in the UK, but I was not accessing any of that um, any of that kind of funding and, and I, so you know essentially when I got on the British Fed Cup team British tennis hadn't you know contributed you anything to kind of you know my tennis whereas all of my teammates were having you know they, they had huge investments kind of put into them um, but yeah there was there was moments I remember there was kind of probably one really particular moment that I, I had enough I said I can't kind of do this I was probably ranked about 160 150 in the world in, in doubles and at that time uh, he probably wouldn't really like me probably telling the story, but at that time, my now husband he was playing rugby for London Irish and living. We were living together in Putney, um, and I, I actually hadn't realised how close Wimbledon was to where we we lived. But we drove down there one night and we kind of sat and looked outside the gates, uh, and I couldn't give. You know, you don't have to say anything. I just couldn't give up that dream of you know trying to play there one day. So that kind of got me got me back back on court again and kind of got me back kind of uh you know doing all all of the right things but um no it was it was it was a difficult journey because I think as well wild cards make a big difference and when you when you get your ranking up and I got my doubles ranking up very quickly into kind of 160 in the world but going from 160 to 100 was difficult finding partners having the kind of continuity of the same partner each week training with them all of those things that wasn't I wasn't able to kind of do that I was just playing with different people every week jumping from continent to continent spending a lot of money kind of doing this Um, and um, yeah that that kind of wasn't that kind of wasn't that was probably the toughest thing and obviously if you can get wild cards you get your ranking jumps jumps kind of forward that would have certainly helped but um, that kind of wasn't wasn't wasn 't the case with me um and you know it just became that, it, that you know at the very end um i i got into i got into that tour final um but ironically when i made the when I made that final in two thousand and six uh, and I broke the top hundred in the world, I actually knew that that was probably going to be the end of my tennis journey bizarrely. i was i was at the peak of my game but mentally i couldn 't see I couldn't see the top 50 in the world.
0: Yeah.
1: It didn't, it didn't mean enough to me at that point. I just thought, what what am I going to do here? I'm I'm 26, 27. I'm going to play what another you know couple of X amount of years. I'm going to get to the top 50 in the world. And what does it mean? What does I couldn't, I couldn't reconcile that. You know, once I had once i had played Wimbledon and once I had uh you know got on that kind of British Fed Cup team, and I think I probably felt like I'd kind of proved a few things. Um, I couldn't at that point go, okay, now now I've got to start thinking about winning these tournaments or doing really kind of well. Um and I think if I was to kind of regret anything, um, and I don't regret it, but I I wish I could have seen it slightly differently because I I, I think there was a lot more to come from me, uh tennis wise.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so you kind of had, had reached some of those goals that you'd had for a long time of, of playing Wimbledon of top 100. And then that sort of the motivation sort of went a bit then when you sort of reached those goals and to see next goals was kind of tricky for you.
1: It was really tricky. And, I, and at that point, I think, um, you know, the London had just won the bid for the Olympics. Um, and I remember my dad saying to me in the film, this is amazing, Claire. I mean, you could be at the Olympics in 2012. And I remember thinking, Dad, there's no way I'm going to be out here in in 2012. I couldn't, you know, the the journey of being to get to where I was was so long and and actually probably difficult that I couldn't take I couldn't take another I couldn't I couldn't find kind of like another path. And when you don't have the motivation to run up the hills by yourself first thing in the morning, or or find a stadium to kind of run up or do your sprints or do all the things that, that I was kind of doing totally and utterly by myself without without any real support or anybody kind of beside me, pushing me along, you know, outside my family. Um, you know, I, when I couldn't find that in me anymore, then how could I do it? Because, you, you know, you have to do it 100% committed. You have to work really hard. All of those things have to be there. And, and I had just lost the will to kind of hit four hands cross court and still miss. <laughs>
0: Yes, yeah. Now, and I guess before you get to that stage, um, maybe kind of along that journey, you do get to play in Wimbledon, and I think four times you got to play in the main draw of Wimbledon. So even that first time, how how did that feel? The first time playing senior Wimbledon and and finally kind of achieving that that dream, that goal.
1: Yeah. Well, the first time I played Wimbledon, I got a little bit lucky to get into it um, because I was a lucky loser. I'd lost actually. I was playing with a girl called Jane O'Donoghue. We had lost in the in qualifying and. Uh, and luckily that year at Wimbledon, it rained a lot. So I, I, had, um, I had kind of reconciled that Wimbledon potentially could be over for me. I was, you know, I'd lost qualifying. I'd actually gone back to Sutton to train on a hard court for my next tournaments. And Jane O'Donoghue was playing in the singles that year. And I contacted her. She won her first round match I caught, uh, you know, on the Wednesday morning of Wimbledon. I, I called her up in the car on my way to training. I said, Jane, will you just please sign us in this morning, just in case there's a lucky loser. And I think that afternoon I got contacted to say, you know, somebody had pulled out and you, you got actually into Wimbledon. So it actually came, came about, uh, you know, was a very unlikely scenario. And also I was training on a hard court. Um, so yes, I would say once again, I kind of rocked up to Wimbledon very unprepared. Um, and maybe didn't put in a, a very good performance e- either that, that, that year. Again, it was just, it took, I was absorbing being at Wimbledon. I, I, I never really got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm here at Wimbledon. Let me try to prepare to do really well in this this tournament. Um, that potentially kind of came the third Wimbledon that I played that year, which, which was the year that I was top 100 in the world. That was probably my best opportunity to do well. Um, and I think I was a little bit unlucky because it was the first year I played Fed Cup for, for Great Britain. And I played with Elena Baltasha And we had had this new success. We'd, we'd kind of won all of these matches. And I remember thinking during that Fed Cup, I think this is, this is a partner that I think we could, we could potentially make a quarterfinals. You know, I, I felt really in sync with her um on the court and you know I loved her attitude I loved her never say you know never give up attitude um and I think we had there was a similarity kind of between us I don't know whether it was the kind of Russian and the Belfast kind of person kind of coming together but we were due to play that summer all of the grass court events which would have been Surbiton, Birmingham, Eastbourne, then Wimbledon so that would have been a great opportunity for me to play with the same partner each week um and unfortunately at Eastbourne that year, she kind of a couple of days beforehand called me up to say she was going to have to have back surgery, so she pulled out, uh, and I was scrambling for partners then. Um, and I, I kind of ended up playing Wimbledon that summer with you know, a girl called Jumia Jackson who wasn't wasn't a doubles player. I wasn't again. You're not really prepared. You have to be. You have to be as prepared, I guess, as, as I kind of was with my doubles partner that I played college tennis with. Yeah. yeah. it's very difficult to especially in the women's game to compete against the very best players because you're competing against the best singles players the men's game is very different in doubles you're competing against actually doubles players but the women's game it's, it's made up of great singles players playing doubles so you have to be uh you have you have to really know your doubles partner and be in sync to be able to break those opponents down
0: yeah yeah and, and just to move on then to your fourth year, 2007, playing Wimbledon. And I guess maybe a great example of two great singles players playing doubles in Serena and Venus. And um, so how was that experience playing them uh, with with Anki Othavong and, and out in Wimbledon that, that, that year?
1: Um, it was, um, I guess it's a great story, isn't it? You, you finish your Wimbledon career, you play against Serena and Venus and you've always kind of got that. You've always got that one, I don't know, to talk about. Uh, I would have loved to have beaten some of these players. i have to say that. You know, it's, you, get, you get to what you were. But what was it like? It was, um, I wish I had have played them. I guess my first professional tennis match was against Hingis and Pierce at the US Open in 2000. And my last professional was in 2007 against Serena and Venus. And I wish it had been the other way around because Serena and Venus played a totally different type of tennis. They, they, they were faster. They were stronger. They were much more imposing. Uh, they dominated. Everything felt like it was, I was rushing. And, you know, people talk about their serves. The serves are amazing. You've got to try to return those. Actually, the most dominating thing about them was them returning my serve because they're standing so close and they're taking it on early. Um, And, you know, I just wish I had have had that understanding of the women's game as a reference point, seven years earlier, because I would have thought I need to hit the ball a bit bigger. I need to you know find a way to be stronger on the serve. I I need to just do a couple of things slightly differently. Um, So that was kind of what I kind of got out of that match from a perspective of those two on the court. I mean, they were they were playing every every game you could possibly play, mind game-wise, before we went out there. Anne and I were waiting for them outside the the seated locker room, um, as you do, to go on. We were going on to court 18. And, you know, they let us wait there for a good four or five minutes, just building up our nerves. And then, uh, you know, you walk out onto the court with them. And as you get onto the court then and you're ready to do the ball toss, I think it was Serena decided to regrip her racket. You know, so she lets you wait a little bit longer. Um, and then I was the one warming up with Serena, uh, you know, in that match. And I think at one point she, she asked me to feed her a ball the exact place that she wants it, which is very unusual to have to do on a tennis court. And it actually slightly irritated me. Um, but they're all mind games. And um, you know, they don't they, you know, they they don't care who they're playing against, they just want to make sure like anything else, they, they win that match as emphatically as they possibly can. Uh, and you know it was it was a wonderful experience to play against them. I I, I you know I played with Anne Kiofovong. We were given a wild card into Wimbledon that year. I wouldn't Anne was not a you know, at that point she, she wasn't like a didn't know a lot about doubles, so it was probably a trickier person for me to play with. Uh I was probably overcompensating. Um, I was trying to do the right things, but um, I think under kind of the circumstances to to get a good result against Venus and Serena, who I, I don't think had ever been beaten at that point at a Grand Slam, uh, I, I don't know. I might have I might have needed to call upon Martina Navratilova, who's I think commentating on the match. I might have had to get her out of the box and asked her, "Could you play with me to get a, have a go?" And even then, it would have been. I mean, they were they were they're incredible players. They're, you know, they were they were unbeatable really at the time.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and just before we we go on then to kind of. I guess pretty soon after that you did um, decide to retire. But firstly, you've mentioned this a few times over the last little while of of kind of playing with partners and having kind of a, a constant partner or moving around partners. And I know that's something that you kind of was a challenge for you, trying to have a partner that you could play regularly with. And and, and why do you think that is the case in the doubles game that there isn't more regular partners? So, you know what would, would it be better if there if there was? And especially I guess as you do get to the higher level that you got to, um, even even more so maybe.
1: Uh, firstly, should probably say I think it would be uh, maybe didn't have any regular partners because I was quite tough to play with. <laughs> I know I don't know. I mean, I was I think I was a tough task master master uh, to play with. But um, look, I think that the, the doubles is something with which is is very close to my heart in terms of the development of tennis players. And I think the the first thing that I would say uh, with that is that every single kid who's, you know, possibly listening to this or their parents or anything like that, you know, we, I played doubles all the time as a junior. I played singles, doubles, mixed doubles. I played league tennis, team tennis as, as, a, as a junior at the boat club. Obviously you played in the Fed Cup, you played in college, you played everywhere. And and our, our developing juniors and players going on to the tour they've got to keep playing doubles because it develops their game it's it's they're playing with a team they're playing with somebody um uh, you know there's there's so many and so much fun and also as you know we all play doubles later on anyway that's what that's what we do so um i think that there's in the men's game there's a lot more regular partners um and they're they're all kind of playing together and it's a much now more professionalized system the ladies' game, um, it, it's not so much like that. As I said, it's it's singles players coming together to play to play to play doubles, um, but they're all playing it. That's that's the kind of one thing kind of that, that you do notice kind of with it. So uh, I'm certainly kind of involved at the moment in terms of the LTA um, and our British players, who I don't think play enough doubles at all. I'm kind of putting together a, like a strategy that that, that, that makes sure that that they are going to be competing in doubles as much as they are or to to percentage chance as much as they are doing um with it the, with their singles kind of going going forward
0: yeah yeah and I guess now just to move on to i guess that kind of side of, of tennis for you as as you do retire and you move into the coaching and move into the working with the lta and you've kind of already touched on i guess some of the reasons around when you retired and and, and kind of why you made a decision but like how then when you did retire and you kind of hung up the racket for for playing days, how did you kind of adjust to to a new life and how did you then kind of move in, in into coaching and and how did you find that that change
1: i think I think firstly i was i I was very lucky and I, I think this is why the the education aspect was important was that when I was playing fed Cup for great britain i was you know I, I'd had a degree from university and I kind of appeared to be probably somebody who had ticked a few boxes top 100 in the world, university degree in comparison I think probably to some of the British players who were leaving school very early and and kind of not not just pursuing their kind of tennis career so I think because of that the chief executive of the LTA at the time Roger Draper kind of uh, recruited me headhunted me and not in a sense you know when I was playing kind of Fed Cup we spoke about He was going to begin kind of a a new, you know, a kind of new era of British kind of tennis, specifically putting a lot of money into the performance side and asked, would I be interested in in being involved in that? And I, like so many other people, thought, I don't think I want to be a tennis coach. You know, I I just didn't think it was kind of for me. Um, and and I was a bit reluctant to get involved in that. But my, my first job that I took was really as an apprentice at the LTA. And in that first year, I spent the year kind of with the commercial team, um, with the with the junior team, the talent itd team at the time, uh, obviously on the women's tennis team, um, I, and I was seeing the organisation all different aspects of it, and they were kind of thinking which way, way do you want to kind of go with it. But I, I, I was also in an environment at that time where the coaches that they had recruited at the LTA, um, Paul Anacone, Louis Kaye, Coral Mays, who was coaching Kevin Clysters, he'd taken women's tennis, Nigel Sears, who was Daniela Hanchnikova's coach. Those were the coaches that I was learning from. Um, and that is pretty exceptional to have that, that type of education around you. Um, and then obviously the British players were training at the National Tennis Centre as well. So one of the first jobs that I got, and I really kind of fell into it as opposed to wanting to do it, was to support Anne Kiothavon, who was kind of in between a coach. And she, Anne had just broken into the top 100 in the world for the first time. And, you know, I, I I didn't want to go back on the tour, but at the same time, I had a very good relationship with her. And we we kind of did a little bit of work together that first summer. And you know, she won her first round at Wimbledon that year for the first time. And, and it, it kind of, you know, it was the natural thing for me to take that role on with um, being mentored by Nigel Sears and Carl Mays from a women's tennis perspective, but from a, from a coaching perspective, Louis Cahier was, has been my kind of greatest kind of mentor, but I traveled there with Anne and she broke the top 50 in the world, so she was, she was doing pretty well, and I had this wonderful exposure to, to, to the, to being a coach, but also to be educated as a coach by these kind of great coaches, and I think it was pretty obvious to kind of everybody that that was, that was where my passion was and that was where I should be kind of on a court. I, I just, I enjoy being able to get the most out of people. That was, that was really um, kind of evident and I, and I still do. So um, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of where that, that, that job kind of came from but it becomes a little bit tricky for a woman trying to coach performance and top level tennis when, whenever you start a family. That's whatever I think for women in sport, that's that's something which is very, very difficult. It's something with which I've tried very hard to keep my career going so that I can kind of help also, not uh, even if it's inspiring other women, but just to, to kind of raise the profile of the fact that actually we, we need to think about top female performance coaches maybe in a different kind of way because because our, our kind of lives will will essentially change quite substantially uh, with, you know, kind of having having a family. But I feel very grateful for the fact that I've been able to do the coaching to the level that I have been able to do um, and also be able to raise my, my three daughters, um, to be able to kind of do both of those things and stay into this game at the kind of highest level um, has been important to me. But it's also because I hope one day to just to be able also to, to kind of get stuck in a little bit more uh, and to be able to do a little bit more whether it's on the coaching side or whether it's on the strategy side whatever it kind of is um you know i I certainly i'm trying to keep myself in it to um so that there's more to come
0: yeah 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 absolutely and obviously you touch on on british tennis and that's you know you've been working there i guess for a few years so if i could just ask you claire i guess a little bit almost of a comparison between what you have in in britain that you've experienced a lot and then compare it to, to the irish system a little bit that you experienced you know earlier on in in, in your life so do, do you see anything that kind of similarities or differences that maybe one could learn from the other
1: uh, money <laughs> uh, i think that look it's you can't hide away from the fact that you know tennis costs a huge amount of money at the highest level. Um, and as a result of you know the Wimbledon Championships, the All England Club finance and support the LTA to a level with which Irish tennis you, you can't even comprehend. You know, it's I don't know what was it forty million a year that, that you get. I think that's something with which um, specifically I guess with the link with Northern Ireland, I think that's something that. Um, Uh, you know if i if i was kind of involved in or any way you know involved in kind of irish tennis in any way i'd I'd be trying to find ways to exhaust that link because is there a way to avail of some of that that kind of funding in you know and that could be that could be really uh beneficial to to the whole of ireland um you know as from a tennis that tennis playing perspective but um, you know in regards to to what is what was different I think that my experience for those two or three years living in Dublin under under Matt Doyle at that time was was probably the kind of it was probably the closest that it's ever probably been to um um to kind of we I, I you know everything was available and and, and and I had a huge investment kind of put into me and I, honestly I can't say you know, thank, that, thank, 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 you know, Tennis Ireland and, and him enough at the time for being able to, you know, to be able to do that kind of for me. Um, but I, I, I think that um, one of the things I've always loved about Irish tennis uh, is the, the value that they have on education. And I think that it's very, very smart to be looking at those links for, for Irish tennis and American universities. I think that's really important. Um, I also think it's important that, that you look at kind of a system that when players graduate as well that they're not forgotten about, and I don't know whether that link between players of the age of twenty two and even thirty you know is strong enough do we let players go at that age that's you know we've got to keep them in it and also keep them in it because they'll stay in the game, which you know whether it's a professionals or working in the game, whatever it is, but that link has got to be uh that link's gotta be kind of really, really good. Um, I think one of the biggest differences that I see in in Britain at, at a young age, and I only know this because my kids are playing tennis, is there are so many competitions. I and mean, they are playing there's competitions every weekend, every holiday. It, it's, it's there's massive, massive, massive competitions kind of going on. Uh, and I think that's that's probably something with which is exceptionally important uh, with that. Um, and also, I guess, the the structure that they have in the counties that they have um, you know players have access to county training um, and you know it's not just it's, there's regional training but there's county training which goes on kind of every weekend or every other weekend for for players um, they access that um, I'm not sure you know how much of how much tennis like that is being accessed in Ireland it's hard for me to compare today because I don't know tennis Ireland today I kind of just know it kind of from my kind of day with it Um, but I think that one of one of the things that I recognized as a player was that I wish I had have had more exposure to what the very best looked like Um, and I didn't have I didn't have that I and I think that this is why the tournaments even that I used to play as a youngster in Ireland that you know we refer to as the money tournaments that had you know big sponsorship and um I was aware of those tournaments from the age of nine. I mean, when, when the Belfast Boat Club used to hold the Ulster Championships, we, we had players coming that were Wimbledon players. And I would go down to the club and I'd be playing with these players you know, during the day. Um, and I remember even being in Dublin and playing in a junior tournament. And my mum took me over to watch Lansdowne uh senior tournament um just for one night and i got a glimpse that night of gina Ireland. gina was about six years older than me or five years older than me and I saw her playing and I was so inspired by like oh look at Gina she's you know the top she's the top Irish player she's sponsored by Sir Judacini this is incredible you know uh I, I, and those things really mattered to me um and they they kept me going and they kept me thinking about what was my next kind of goal and I think that's where it's really difficult in, in Ireland that you, you don't have that level of exposure to the to the to the top level players, the top kind of tournaments and I guess to the to standards. Um so 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 you know, I, I think that it at all costs try to get yourself into that, you know, for you know, if it's a, a youngster kind of come over, play some kind of tournaments, just see what 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 it is uh all about, um, because then you're gonna be like me and be 22 years of age and only plays your top 100 player at 22 uh, on a court in, in New York. That's that's a lot. That's too late. Yeah, you know? yeah, too late. yeah.
0: And I guess what you're really saying there, I'm kind of taking it, you know, the, the, the two points are kind of both sort of competition related in terms of playing as many competitions and, you know, weekly is kind of the ideal, I guess, sort of structure to have. And then also the having more competitions for like maybe pro competitions or, or the money competitions during the summer or as much as you can to have the to watch the level, so it's kind of both sides, of, but it's competition is sort of the the the, the common thing it's, with both of those it, kind of ideas.
1: Yeah, competition is is obviously is obviously exceptionally important. But you know, I think more than anything, with with any youngsters or juniors, it's important that you love what you do. I mean, I, I talked probably throughout this about um, I find the life of a tennis player very difficult but I loved the game of tennis. I have to this day. I absolutely love it. I, and, you know, it, it's the love of the game that would have put me through all the challenges. And I think today, you know, I kind of wonder whether there's a lot of, you know, juniors out there. Are they really loving what they're doing? Or is this kind of what they're asked to kind of do? Or they're, um, and, I, and I think that aspect is really important. But, but I also think that, that tournaments for a young age, they've got to be fun, don't they? And, you've got to you've got to you've got to enjoy being at your tennis club because you're you're playing when you're a kid you're playing tennis you enjoy that but you really actually enjoy going to the sweet shop and you enjoy hanging out with your friends kind of around it and the tennis kind of takes care of itself but you have to love it to keep going in it and when you go to a competition you know my day you go to the competition you'd stay there for the day and you do the competition kind of for the weekend. I don't know if all those things are happening also in the, also in the UK. I don't think they kind of go on kind of enough, but I think, you know, that you've got to kind of keep hold of the site that, that that we're doing this game to begin with because you really love it. Not because you're trying to be a professional tennis player or, you know, that's the, that's the kind of last, last com. You know, you have to kind of, you have
0: to kind of keep with enjoying what you're, what you're doing. Yeah. the love of the game. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, Claire, just a big thanks. And i am um, conscious of, of taking up your time. And I guess the final question that I that I have for you, I guess, related to I guess the love of the game and keeping the enjoyment is, is what, what is your favorite thing about tennis?
1: Um that's a good question. Um I think it's probably the round the round table nature of it, and that's what I've found that that tennis has kind of taken me everywhere in life, mm-hmm. and it still does today. Um, I could, you know play a tennis match you know anywhere in any club or and I'll meet people that that I know that I have something that you know we can relate to um, with it Um, and I think the fact that the players that you grew up playing with was at the time they were great kind of rivals they're also you know the closest people to you because they understand you as well Um, like nobody kind of else can kind of understand you and I think tennis is tennis is such a unique sport um like that and I think that kind of round table aspect of it, that you're that, that there's a connection everywhere to it. Um, no matter where you are, that that I think is is so very, very special. And, and probably the fact even today I'm playing I mightn't be very good, but I can still kind of go out there and, and play and compete with people that, that's been um that it's yeah, it's a sport for life.
0: Yeah, no, very good. Very good. And Claire, I think we will Leave it there taking up enough of your time this morning and a, a big thanks again for coming on and for talking i really enjoyed a lot there i i didn't know so i really enjoyed that and i'm sure people will find it really interesting as well so yeah no a big thanks but,
1: no that's okay it's been uh it's been a pleasure to to be on to be on the show and i have to have a little bit of a, a, a dig at elso rain who was doing it tonight at the end of it she she made all her thanks uh, I, I thought it was lovely i thought it was one of the nicest things actually kind of I've heard, but uh no, I think like everybody reiterating the fact that it is great for me to to not be obviously I'm not around uh, Irish tennis now, but to be able to reconnect with it actually through your podcast has been it's been a lot of fun and brought back a lot of great
0: memories. So thank you very much for that. Great. No, absolutely. And I'm sure uh, hopefully people will, will listen to this as well and get some good memories and the same kind of stuff. So yeah, no. Um Claire, a huge thanks. And uh, the very best of luck with Wimbledon coming up and, and all the coaching stuff you have going on. Um all the best and Yeah, and and thanks again.
1: No problem. Thanks for having me, Adam.
0: Huge thanks once again to Claire Curran for her time with this episode and with the previous episode. I really, really enjoyed talking to Claire. I found it super interesting and I hope that you enjoyed it as well and learned something from the episodes. All the best to Claire for Wimbledon and beyond with all the work that she is doing at the moment. And thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please do consider sharing the podcast with anybody else that you may think might enjoy it. Also, subscribe, leave a review, leave a comment. And until next time, I've been Adam, and goodbye.